Welcome to the 21st episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. Offering content in several languages makes a better experience for your users, but it can add many layers and complexity in your application's design and architecture. In this episode, we'll be discussing the ways we have dealt with supporting multiple languages. Before we get started, let's go around the table and give brief introductions of today's panelists. Derek, you want to start? Sure. Uh, my name is Derek Showers, and I'm a senior software engineer at LinkedIn. Jim Young, senior software engineer at Netflix, and happy birthday to Derek. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> Thank you. I was going to say we should call that out. That it was Derek's <laughs> birthday yesterday. He's in rough shape today. My happy hour <laughs> beverage of choice, water. water. <laughs> <laughs> you do have some scotch beside you, too, so that's good. Augustus. Yeah, my name is Augustus Yoon. I'm a front-end engineer at Evernote. Me chiamo Brian, io sono un ingegnero a Netflix. <laughs> Impressive. <laughs> Brian showing his multi-languages. <laughs> and I am Ryan Burgess, a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. So what did we decide today's keyword is? Global. Global. So if anyone says the word global, we will all take a drink. All right, let's get started with the episode. What are some things people should be aware of when they're trying to support multiple languages? You can't just put things in the Google Translate <laughs> and then spit it back out. And, and why not? Context is very important. And I only say this because I'm not an expert at localization, but there's a whole team of people at Netflix that are really, really good. And if I ship even like a sentence of something, the amount of discussion that goes into it and the context, they're like, well, no, in this language, it means this, and you have to do this. And yeah, you can't just throw it into a computer and translate things. Google Translate's not very reliable. It's it's good, like it's amazing that we can have a tool like that to translate something quickly, but it's never perfect. And so, yeah, it's probably not something that you wanna be using on your site. I've seen it embeddable though. You can put your own Google Translate on your website. Oh, that's true. That sounds yeah. like a horrible idea. It's a terrible <laughs> idea, but <laughs> I'm glad you brought it up, Jim. It's not a solution, I guess, is where I'm, I'm thinking of that. Google Translate is not. I only brought it up because I, I think there's this whole car- culture of startup people out there that are just like, hmm, we can go global. Throw it in Google Translate and throw it back Cheers. out. CEO's like, approved. Cheers. Oh, yeah. Uh, on a roll. But that's not the way it works. And fortunately, I have the benefit of working with people that know how it works. But my, my naive self a few years ago would have been like, throw it in Google Translate. We're done. Call it a day. But... No, that is uh, very wrong. And you can actually produce some insulting results because it's just so wrong that the people that speak that language will be like, this is just insultingly bad. Like, well, and it would turn them off. It'd be like if we read poor English, we'd be like, "What's this is unprofessional of this website. So it's the same idea as like a poor translate could actually hurt your user experience. That's a great point. And like, I remember in particular, Germany, if they have poor translations, they're, they're quick to think of like, this is a scam. And so they just won't sign up for it. Wow, that's uh, pretty powerful too. So just even having a bad translation, not a good idea. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's also really interesting kind of how Netflix does it. Evernote also has a dedicated localization team. And it's just so interesting how like making continuous localization work where like um, we have like this robot that will scan like our files and then it will like send it to translators. And it's just, I never really realized how different some languages are. Like even the grammar is like completely different. I think it was German, kind of what you're saying. It has like this weird thing where like you can have like a verb in like the sentence, but then some certain verbs will have like 
part of the verb in the first part of the sentence and the rest of the verb in the second part in the end of the sentence so you don't actually know like what they're saying until you read the whole thing i think another way to look at it too in that respect is like even english i don't know i've worked with a lot of um copywriters or whatever that are like very specific about the words they use but they all mean the same thing so but i mean you know i've been in situations where things get changed 10 million times before they get to production you know just because of one word you know that mean the same thing two words that mean the same thing well i think that's why it's important too to have someone who actually understands the english word or english sentence and is able to translate it in their language appropriately and understand the context of what you're trying to say like if it's sign up here maybe that doesn't translate appropriately in german or spanish and it's they have they understand what we're trying to say in english and they have to translate it appropriately so it actually means what someone should be trying to do at that point a mistake i've seen is since we're in the united states a lot of people go english to spanish because spanish is very uh, heavily spoken in the united states in certain parts so i've seen the the person like oh yeah i speak bad spanish i can do some translation and then they try and it's just just terrible yeah no it's a it's a peculiar skill set like if i was trying to do it on for italian for netflix i would probably get it wrong just because the way that you conversationally speak italian is entirely different from the way that you write it and in particular it's even different from the way that you market in italian for example they want to use infinitives everywhere which is just not the way that you speak nor the way that you write italian it is specifically for marketing type materials i think another thing to think about too is how do you change languages Like you need some sort of way for the user to actually be able to change their language if it's not the appropriate one. So I've seen a lot of people in the top right will have a drop down to choose languages or even in the footer. That's probably an important one that you should have some way of doing that. It should be intuitive. It should be pretty immediately obvious too, which I think at Netflix, we don't do the best job. You have to go all the way to the footer to figure out the way to change the language. We do try and default by taking the browser's uh, default language or what the user actually has their browser set to. So I think you can be smart about it and try and choose the default language. But if your, I don't know, Japanese friend wanders into your computer, doesn't speak any English... I don't, one, that's cool that you have a Japanese friend that doesn't speak any English. <laughs> Probably a good way to figure that out is, which I think we've all been there, is change the language and then try to figure out how to change it back. And, yeah. and sometimes it gets very difficult. I've done that on my phone multiple times for testing, and it took me a while yeah, to figure so. out how to turn it back. Yeah, I had Spotify set to Japanese for a long time because I could not figure out how to get back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, another one that uh, I've often seen is we talked about the language switcher. Uh, one that I don't really like is when sites put in flag beside it because basically they're saying a country, right? A flag. A lot of countries speak multiple languages, so that's a, not really the best idea to identify languages. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It's a little selectionist, but at the same time, it's still, you're communicating your point universally, right? Like if you are from the from the US and you see a Great Britain flag, right? You know, okay, if I click on that, I'm gonna get English. So it, it is still effective communication. Yeah, I guess that helps a little bit in, in what we were just talking about. Like if you try to switch it back to English, you know, or, or to a different language, you, you know, you can identify with, the, you know, by the flag. You can see the American flag, English, America. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually interesting because I think for Evernote, we will have like Spanish, but then we'll also have like a separate Spanish for Latin America 
or like there's Portuguese, but then there's also a separate one for Portuguese from Brazil. Yep. I'm actually not sure how different the translations are, but we, we have that at Netflix as well. As well, and there's enough of a difference to make a whole another yeah, language. Yeah, so for. we actually have a separate one for Great Britain too that says "pip pip cheerio" everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know this in CSS? Not a lot of people know you can use gray with an e or an a; it'll still work. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. that is actually really interesting. That's, that makes it harder because I can never remember which one. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> is an a America? Yeah, that's how I always remember it too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> e for Europe, A for America. I think another thing too that I always struggle with for languages is how long some of the strings get. You look at German or Russian, and then to the opposite, you have something like Chinese or Japanese that's very, very small. And so that can really screw up your UI elements just trying to support multiple languages it's not that easy yeah we i constantly have an issue with uh, german rapping like three times or four times when i want it to like not rap or only rap once yeah we actually have a language called double font or something or double width or well, i forget but it basically just repeats the english translation twice just in development mode so you, so, can, get, so you can see what that would yeah. look like the other one that i struggle a lot with is turkish in particular turkish because of all the diacritics mm. Diacritics in the sense of like the little hang-offs or the hang-ups on particular words because those Turkish ones can get one really long and two if you don't put them then it's like it's a bad translation like people I mean me from my privileged American perspective I would just think like oh well I can see the word right and it doesn't matter they'll figure it out right and which is they probably do but it, it <laughs> but it's like it's bad translation it's it's bad for the website yeah we actually found this out when we were uh, we, we added a web font. <laughs> LinkedIn. No. <laughs> you, get, you get the um, fuck out. And so our, and so our library wasn't uh, it wasn't handling um, the line heights facing, and so with with Turkish and with Thai and stuff, it it looked really weird, and like no one really noticed it until you know there was a translator that took a look at at that language, but you know because they, they would overlap because it has all of those whatever they're called. Diacritics. Thank you. It's actually a good point is how do you support that? There's so many different ways to do that. Is not even specifically to a web font. But when you're using any type of font, it doesn't necessarily work well for every language, even just for sizing. Some fonts may, or sorry, some languages might need a larger font size. How do you typically support that across languages? Like, there's multiple ways. Use system fonts. That's that's how I support no, it. No, but even some of them, like I feel like you can sometimes. Chinese characters may need to be a bit larger than the system font that you're using. The same font size. I kind of take a modernizer type uh, approach, which is like have like a global class that says like, okay, this is Chinese, it's within a Chinese um, class, go ahead and use a Chinese font or something like that. Yeah, I know for us, like CSS has this very useful lang selector. So like if we detect that lang selector, then we can like, like we'll inject this lang attribute into the like body or yeah. somewhere yeah. in that. And then like, I think you, I think you were the one who wrote this maybe or I think I probably added that. Yeah, you, you can then use the HTML lang attribute mm -hmm. and then leverage it from CSS or JavaScript. Yeah. Yeah, I think what we do, not saying this is the right way, but um, we just inject like different fonts depending on the language. Like, I think like for all of our Asian fonts, we do use like a specific like generic system like Asian font that works. That's also done server side, if I remember right. So you're not loading all those fonts. It's only loading it dependent on the uh, language. God, I hope so. <laughs> I, 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 I hope so too. <laughs> I'm like 98% sure that that's how it was done. I don't think I would have wanted to have it run all those fonts. That would kill we me. We all know that Ryan doesn't care about web performance. <laughs> <laughs> not at all, not one bit. <laughs>
That's what we do. We have we have different fonts for different languages, but for we for all the them global in. languages. Yeah, well, not for every language. But cheers, for, cheers. No. <laughs> <laughs> I fell for it. <laughs> but yeah, I think we package up the bundles differently based on locale. Does anyone ever use the pseudo class in CSS where you can actually put lang and dependent on the language code, you can actually target specific languages? I haven't. What's the support for that? It's actually fairly good. I think for IE, I think it's like IE 8 and above, but that's enough. Yeah, it's not too badly supported, but I could also see that being a little bit problematic if you started using it a ton, like you're adding all this extra CSS for one specific language. Yeah, you probably want to like put that all in one place. No, I, I agree. Yeah, or like what's nice in like Sa like SAS, you can like have extends. And so like no, you that, can is, just that is not nice. That is a bad Oh no. <laughs> detail. Detail. I just have a particular vendetta against SAS and extends. Like okay. trying to maintain code that has extends in it is just it's That's true. When it comes out, it becomes it becomes so atrocious. But yeah, I, I the transpiled code is not nice. The transpiled code totally isn't agree. nice, but like if this extends this, which extends this, which extends like you're hopping files like seven times to find your bug, it just becomes for me, unmanageable. That's true. That's true. Well, so like, well, I think what I try to do is fix all the extends in like different files, and then like we're just so like, at least for languages, like we're only pulling like those certain extends for those languages. But I guess I can see how it can still be an it's still a terrible <laughs> it's, idea. It's almost it's a terrible idea. Used as like a variable at that point, right? Yeah, exactly. So you're using extends for your web fonts. Well, that's like my worst nightmare. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just trying to make it. I'm going to wake up in a cold sweat. <laughs> so, if you're trying to support multiple languages, you're going to have to somehow change that in the URL. How how would you typically go about that? I know for us at Netflix, and I actually believe Evernote does the same thing, is just using like in the URL, adding the language code in there. Like, what do you think about using something like query parameter? I think it's better to have the like slash en for like more or like slash you know zh or whatever for uh seo purposes because that way the search engine can kind of differentiate it's like okay this is a directory that i can tell everything in it is going to be in this language and you can indicate to google that that that's a language selection parameter for them yeah i think we do that for facebook and google i believe they both have the same syntax because seo is important so we follow whatever rules they di dictate we used to use uh, subdomains, right? There, there was a previous different oh, way to do it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's not a, like you could do that. I feel like that it would still be works. Like it still links to the proper language if you do it. But I feel like that would be more of a mess to handle having subdomains. Well, they they view it as different websites. They being the the search engine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, like, so it's nice that like Google will let you specify in your sitemap all the different languages. I think there's like a specific lang like meta parameter or whatever. But yeah, just from like an SEO perspective, it's better to just have um, your main domain slash so that your main domain gets more credit for that SEO wise rather yeah. than having all these subdomains yeah, get think, separate credits. I think that's the, the best reason. So we've talked a little bit about supporting more languages in your code base. Anything that you've experienced or want to share that caused headaches or any learnings from doing this? I think uh, Augustus alluded to this earlier, but it's, you really want to avoid writing language-specific stuff as much as possible in your like in your code and your CSS because that just becomes unmanageable, right? That you're going to get into like some weird situation that you're going to pull in like old code that's only affecting a certain language, so you have certain bugs only in certain languages. It just becomes really, really tough to, to bug. So as much as possible, you want to do it as like 
instead of having like language specific code for Chinese and that the characters need to be bigger, you want to have like a class that says like language needs bigger characters, right? And, that, you know, and you throw that class on there. And so that can affect multiple languages. It becomes pretty meaningful. If someone looks at it as like, oh, okay, this is Chinese and Chinese needs bigger characters. This all makes sense. I found that to be really helpful. So you would take more of a global approach? Globally. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. I've learned, uh, even just from listening to all of you talk, CSS is probably more important than I would have taken for granted. Just because, yeah, you might have some cool design, but it's some tiny font that fits in there. In English, it, it fits, but any other language, it won't fit, like German or, or, some sort, or Chinese or something like that. Yeah, definitely. It's, yeah, it's something that... I think if you're going to be a global company, your designers... Cheers. Cheers. Man, I, I really keep forgetting to say that. If you're going to be a global company, it has to be the entire team. So it's got to be localization team, your QA team, the developers, and the designers all on board like the same path because uh, I would imagine there's plenty of designers out there coming up with a really cool design and someone's like, well, that's not going to work in, in a left-to-right language or right-to-left and you need to rethink your design. They're like, oh, what? And that's just the way it works if you're going to be global. It does help having design on the same page as you. That definitely makes a big help. Like having designers being able to think through that is how's that button going to translate? What's it going to look like when the characters are like three times the size? Because there's, you know, it's a longer string. And it does help when they're thinking through that ahead of time. It's also good for engineers to push back and share that. Hey, what's going to happen when there's really long string in here? How does that span? How does that? Uh, how do you support that? In my experience, something I found really helpful too is um, inviting or making sure that somebody from the international team is there for like design reviews and handoffs or whatever. Whatever point you can get them in front of the design because there's a lot of subtle things. Like one thing that came up uh, when I was working on revamping the settings for LinkedIn there was a place where it was like member since and then the year and the year was like four times as big. It was just like a design decision. But, but the uh, person from the international team was like, okay, in, in this language, that, that's just doesn't work. Like never would do that. And so it's like, you would never really, no one would think about that unless they're, unless they're looking at those kind of things with, you know, from that perspective. So I thought that was pretty cool, but I think it's just the more, the more, um, People you can get to, to take a look at it that have that expertise, the better. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I, th- I, th- I think you, you touched on a really interesting point that internationalization goes beyond just changing the language, right? There are certain yes. other things that need to be localized. And I think a really good example of that from Netflix is when we were doing uh, right-to-left languages, we just assumed that if the language goes right-to-left, that the scrubber, which is the name of the little th- thing that you can move back and forward in, in time in your movie, we assumed that was also going to go from right to left. Like that just made sense. We thought we were gonna mirror our UI and it turns out that's not the case. That in right to left languages, they still expect left to right. And I found out later actually why that is uh, from a Google engineer. He told me that's because they got the same VCRs as we did and so that they just got used to that sort of interface. And so it was actually the VCR that-, that What's the, VCR again? Yeah, no. <laughs> wait was that a real question or right. oh wait are you talking like an actual vcr with okay. tapes oh, got it, got betamax it. <laughs> <laughs> no i remember i had a vcr Christ, you're not that, that young. so one of the first times i actually really had to support a lot of languages actually when i went to evernote and one project in particular was probably one of the most painful projects I've ever had to work on just because it was it was very complex. And the reason it was so complex is it was we were supporting 26 different languages. It was basically a entire redesign of the uh, homepage on evernote.com. 
And the design team had come up with this really cool strategy. They had a bunch of hero images that they wanted to show people using Evernote. And it was more theoretic of like what you could maybe use Evernote for, like what notes that someone may have. And so they had these four different images that they wanted to cycle through on the homepage and it was showing notes in behind the person like it could be an architect and it would show all the different notes they had. And these were all on a bit of a 3D plane and they all had text in them. They wanted them all translated in 26 different languages. It wasn't something that we could do with live text and do a CSS. It was just, it was too hard to try and do. You also had to support on mobile, tablet and desktop. So different breakpoints, different images. Luckily, we had a product designer who had just, actually, I think it was one of his first projects and he just started at Evernote. And we had to crank these images out. We had like two weeks to build this entire page and supporting all these different languages. And so there was, it ended up being, because of the four different images with 26 different languages that all had this different text on it and all the different breakpoints, it was over a thousand images that we had generated. And so luckily he had wrote scripts to do this all, but it was, it was crazy. Luckily for me, it wasn't that difficult. I was just calling the asset. I was like, as long as you name them specifically with the language code, that's really easy for me because then as long as he's outputting them, I'm just calling a different image depending on that uh, attribute. But man, was that painful and it was really, really difficult. Yeah, I, I recall this. <laughs> Glo global. Just because that was your Pro tip, if someone asks you to create as many images and it includes a factorial in the amount of images that you need to create, you just tell them to fuck right off. No way. Unfortunately, it was the VP of design. Yeah. It, was, it was hard fuck to off. argue that. I tried, fuck I tried. Right. Doesn't matter. Fire me, but fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that leads to a good point of we've been talking about translating strings and text on the page. What about imagery? Should we be translating imagery and how should we go about that? I know some markets we've talked about may need different imagery for the UI. What do you think about that? Well, I think if you're not translating your images, you're probably missing out on some opportunities, right? It's, it, like what is a appealing image and appealing interface in a certain language is not going to be appealing in another culture, another language. It's just, there's no such thing as like a global taste, right? There's probably some things that do okay globally. Oh, you just globally. said global to you. Oh, like <laughs> twice there. Cheers. Cheers. I'll just drink a lot. Yeah. You probably have some imagery and some interfaces that will do well across country borders, but... Uh, you're certainly missing out on some local optimizations. That makes sense. And then there's also culturally people read imagery differently as well in different countries. Yeah, I mean, we can just say several Middle East countries, there's imagery you just wouldn't want to have on your page, whereas in, say, like, Europe or something, it wouldn't be offensive. But to them, it'd be, it'd be extremely offensive. Well, yeah, not even, like, offensive, but also, like, just more effective. Like, I know for China... We like treat Evernote, we have a separate entity called Yinshang and like we'll change all the faces to be Chinese people instead because we just found that's way more effective for China. But I think even there, you open a door of China's a whole different ball game mm -hmm, yeah. and you're having a completely different domain, a different site. It's pretty much a different identity in China for various reasons for regulations. I know, Derek, you, yeah, you guys Link do that at LinkedIn's LinkedIn. The only, uh, or China is the only country at LinkedIn that we localized meaning like we completely have a separate site for for china but you're also the only social network in china yeah i guess that's yeah. no twitter no facebook just microsoft cheers <laughs> <laughs>
feel like Microsoft should be like an ongoing keyword that in any episode, if someone makes fun of Derek for working at Microsoft, <laughs> that we have to drink to it. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> he, he's holding on to that. It's yeah, what? Fair. Early January or something. I don't know it's if it's official. Soon. Okay. Yeah, in the next couple of weeks. He's still got a few weeks. How many languages do your current companies support? I think at LinkedIn, we have somewhere around 24. 24? It's quite a bit. Yeah, I, th- I think you said it earlier. I think we still have maintained 26-ish. 26. Yeah, I think we're sub-20 last I checked. I want to say like 16. Yeah, that sounds maybe. about right. We talked a little bit about supporting right-to-left languages, something like Arabic. I'm, I'm interested to know what's everyone's experience been like supporting those languages. It's it's not easy. So I know I've had some issues do- dealing with It's the worst. Right? It is. Like at the end of a project, I'm like, okay, here we bring on the RTL bugs. There's a CSS selector for RTL, uh, I believe, that you can tap into to say, like, this is an RTL uh, environment. And so you can end up mirroring a lot of things. That's what we do at Netflix as much as possible. We just try and mirror dumbly everything and then just go back and fix the things that need to be unmirrored or moved or something like that and that's been mildly successful i feel like you get 80 or 90 percent of any of my experiences of just using the changing this uh, css to direction uh, rtl i feel like you get like 80 or 90 percent of it works and then you have to go and fix certain things definitely like imagery is something that we always have to be aware of because if there's like any words in the image obviously you're going to flip that and that's not ideal that's more on the designers at that point i hope so we do have some basic support for rtl i don't think we actively update the designs of it though just because i think we did some for well for us it was really hard finding like translators for right to left languages and so like to meet certain like it it was just kind of like whenever they get translated they get translated so making new making them stick with the newest designs was really difficult for us but um in terms of like supporting it like i know we were looking into like some task process like grind gulp task processes that will like go through your css and just like flip everything although i don't know how that actually that's a horrible idea. it, it, it totally did work. which is which i which is why when i looked at it i was like hmm i'm not sure how well this works but so i don't know if you guys actually have experience with that do you guys just custom like yeah, go it's, through? it's pretty hand pretty cu- hand that's what i imagine yeah. yeah ours is automated but i honestly don't know what part of the stage i know we used to use like a javascript framework which you got rid of that i think we do it at compilation css but i don't know exactly what we're doing. we have like something that'll strip out pieces of css that are for non-rtl and then it'll leave it in for rtl yeah so at least that point you're trying to save on some of that performance so you're not loading it to everyone if your language doesn't need that don't show that to them because that's that's not great. exactly brian you had mentioned about the css you can actually even there's an attribute you can add to your like html uh, as well i've not really leveraged that too often though so i'm not sure what the like how well it works or anything but we that is that. another option yeah, oh, we, we awesome. do use that. Yeah, and then I think we just depend on that tag in the CSS yeah. for you know for anything that needs to be overridden. So then you, you do it through the HTML first, like through the markup, and then CSS for anything that you kind of need to tweak. Yeah, and looking for that attribute tag. Nice. That's awesome. That's a good way to do it. What about open source tools or anything that you're using to make it easier for supporting multi languages? I think we're pretty proprietary. Most of the stuff we wrote ourselves. Yeah, I know like Yahoo came out with React INTL or something of the sorts, which is which is pretty interesting, like how they like set up like a bunch of free components for you to like make it so that you can like just kind of plug in your own localization and then they come with the formatting for like certain currencies and stuff for free. That's nice. But I haven't tried it out yet. There is a there's a DOM API for a lot of localization stuff for like getting dates right, for getting currencies right. Mm-hmm. It's 
landed in the browser as part of the browser spec. Oh, nice. Yeah, because that's another thing is you're also having, it's not just strings, you're actually supporting currency and dates, calendar, all that. Yeah, I'm surprised we haven't mentioned uh, phone numbers. Phone numbers is huge. That's so difficult. Phone numbers are, like having dealt with this recently, phone numbers are such a pain to format. And you wouldn't think so, but globally, there's such a pain that most people don't. Cheers. (laughs) Most people don't even bother doing it. Uh, We tried it for a while, and then uh, we stopped because the library to... Uh, like I think it's Google Lib phone number, which is a really good library, but it's huge. It's a massive library, and uh, I think we decided not to do it. And Facebook doesn't do it either. And you look at most. Yeah, we don't do it either. We had, yeah. I had the same problem. We I actually was, <laughs> was when I redid the when I rewrote settings that um, one for for you know phone number management. Obviously, it was in the designs to be formatted, but they only thought of it in the U.S. <laughs> so. You know, I spent some time looking to see how, how hard... I think it, it, what makes it difficult, too, is that it seems like, at least from the research I did, it's, the phone number changes based on, like, if you're in the country or out of the country or if you're in the European... You know, if you're in Europe, like, it's, like, the, the format and spacing changes, so it's just very complicated. It's not like one phone number is this format in this country all the time. Okay, so it's not just us. That's yeah, good. no. <laughs> Evernote's the same way, too. There's an awesome article, which I could re- wish I could remember where it was, but it was basically, like, 10 wrong assumptions about phone numbers... And there's just like crazy shit about phone numbers that basically you can make zero assumptions about phone numbers. Like the one that stuck out to me in my mind, that if you have the phone number 123 in a country, you cannot necessarily rule out that 1234 and 1235 are also valid phone numbers, right? Like there's just a bunch of crazy shit about phone numbers that you just can't provide for. So it's even hard the regex to validate. Yeah, I mean you just can't. I've also noticed that some of the sites like Weebly and Squarespace are actually starting to add translation translation plugins and everything into the site so that you can try and I, I don't know how well it works, but I thought it was interesting that you can try and support multiple languages. I know I've also seen like plugins available for static sites like Jekyll. I know Brian, you were working in Jekyll the other day. <laughs> You didn't see me roll my eyes, but I did. <laughs> also, there's plugins for WordPress, Drupal. I mean, there's there's a lot of various plugins and tools available depending on what you're building. I, I don't know how well they are. Uh, it's probably it reminds me probably something similar to uh, the Google Translate. It might just be a somewhat of a decent solution, but not perfect. Well, if you're gonna do localization, going back to don't use Google Translate. Uh, <laughs> Like if you're gonna do translations, like make sure you hire someone to translate for you. Or if you're not doing it yourself and you know the language. Yeah, and they also, at least on our team, they also do QA on the language to say, okay, this actually works. Cause you definitely need that. You can't just blindly translate and then not look at it again. Cause that is a recipe for- Disaster. Someone in another country being like, who are these guys? Like screw them. They can't even bother to double check this. Yeah, I think also that's uh, with testing, I think that's a really good reason to have like automated layout tests if possible because we do a manual QA like when we first launch something in a different language or a new product or something like that. But then yeah, every time you change something it's it would it's not very it's not very easy to check that in in every single language all the time. So some sort of layout testing is super helpful. I know we've run into situations where we didn't have that and had all kinds of layout issues. Yeah, and at Netflix, we even have automated uh, screenshots yeah. for the UI, which yeah, is very, very beneficial for people who are working on that localization team, is that they don't necessarily have to try and go and change all their browser settings and do all that every single time, is they could pick a page or a flow and 
see it throughout is like this language, I want to see all the different screens and it will automate that and they can actually see it. So they don't actually have to load up the browser or environment, every different uh, language. Yeah, we have that too. We actually started something new where it automatically attaches the screenshots to your pull request. So you can see, yeah, you can see the, and it'll, it'll try to, it's not super robust right now, but it'll try to like outline things in red that it thinks are, are issues. That's really cool. I would love to. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to hear more about that. I think that's actually really cool. And so that you're actually catching it while you're coding. It's actually trying to help you identify something that might not translate well. Or I guess more break the layout is probably what you're looking at. We also talked about open source tools and everything that are available. I always thought it was interesting. And Augustus, I don't know if you still do this at Evernote, but they used to use an open source tool called Poodle. Yep. It's a translation software that's open to public so other people can actually translate your strings for your ui oh yeah and so it's like open or it's like sourcing your crowdsourcing the translations reddit did that too that's interesting yeah that's it's really cool i i I was blown away i'm like that's actually not a bad idea i'm sure there's sometimes limitations where some of the translations aren't perfect but yeah yeah, that's that's still really really nice is that you could open source that and have someone actually translating those strings and then they come back. Yeah, it's interesting because I think we tried to gamify it. So like you do have like a translation score and stuff. And then I think certain privileged users who like have made tons of translations get like the privilege to like accept recommendations. So when you start off, you can only make recommendations for translations and then has to have someone approve them and stuff. So it's pretty interesting. I remember something that we did at Reddit, uh, which was pretty fun. We using our localization ability that we had from localizing Reddit the first time into another language. For Talk Like a Pirate Day, we localized the website into uh, Pirate, right? Oh, man. (laughs) That's amazing. So now every Talk Like a Pirate Day, which I believe is in September, if I remember correctly, Reddit is in Pirate. That's so cool. And so it's it's a language. It's a language. And you can actually go switch your your Reddit experience right now to Pirate. It's available. That's actually pretty cool. So it's building that infrastructure that allowed you to actually do those types of things. Yeah, that was fun about Reddit is we did stupid shit like that all the time. <laughs> I think that's cool. Yeah. We haven't talked about it yet, but what about the issue of programming in a different language, like programming JavaScript? Most programming languages are very English-centric. like So, I mean, I, I honestly have no experience, but what's that like programming like JavaScript in Japanese or something? I was just talking to a coworker about this because he's from Austria and definitely his primary language is German. But and the reason it came up is because the content, but the content library thing I was telling you about. So the product I work on is is essentially like a video learning platform, and it's interesting because the uh, I was watching, just happened to watch the Angular course, and the whole all the slides and like all the code on the screen are all in English, obviously, right? But the thing is in German, and then the subtitles are in German. So it's like it's very mismatched. Uh, it's interesting to. But I was asking about about his code is written in English. It's just I guess it's just something you're used to, and it's just very common. You don't even. He did, he was kind of surprised by the question. He didn't even think about it. But for us, it seems weird, I think. Yeah. Do you expect that the language is written completely in the person's language? Well, say you have a, like a for loop, for yeah. instance, something basic, and a break. Like break in English, sure. to me, means like you break. But in another language, that may not make any sense. So I wonder what that's like. We should have The word that. function. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a great it doesn't matter. There's so many things there that are actually English words. Well, even your even like variable names and no, stuff no, like that are, are all in English, yeah. uh, you know, I would assume, especially especially if you're like in uh, with a language like Japanese or Chinese. You're not putting Japanese characters as your variable, which I believe would be supported. Only, sure. only recently. I only use emojis for my <laughs> variable names. Which you can do now. <laughs> that's important. 
As we wrap up today's episode, let's share picks that we have that we've liked and favorited for this week. Uh, let's go around the table and share our picks. Derek, what do you have for us this episode? So the first pick I have is because uh, I was absent for the last episode and uh, on wasted on workflows, I guess. is what, Anyway, it was about workflows. But this blog, I guess, is just they go out and interview people and the, like people in, in the, that are either engineers or designers or whatever. And then um, they just talk about their setup. It's kind of nerdy, but it's pretty cool to, to read some of the uh, read some of the stuff. And then the other thing that I have is um, so I've recently been into Swift a lot and I uh, went to a Swift conference a couple weeks ago and IBM was there and presented uh, this uh, framework called Katora, which is Swift on the server. It's really, really cool if you get a chance to check it out. The API is very similar to like a note, to setting up a node server. It's just as easy. And it's actually, according to some of the data that he had pretty quick, uh, it outperformed Java and node in memory usage on the server. Uh, on a Linux but that's server not that hard. Using, so. that's, I'm not <laughs> impressed by that. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's it's definitely something I want to check out more. Jim, what do you have? Uh, my first pick is an HTC Five because I just got one and it's pretty pretty freaking cool. I, I won't lie, uh, it is it's very very expensive, but I mean I don't know. I still use it and it like my mind's blown every single time I'm playing it. It's just incredible. So. Do you want to come over, Augustus? Or- I was going to say, we're all coming to your house later. To my jaws were kind of dropped. No one can see. Uh, my second pick is The Crown. Uh, it's a show on Netflix. Is one of our probably more uh, production-heavy shows. And it, it seems pretty boring. It's like, oh, a period drama about Queen Elizabeth, blah, blah, blah. But it's actually really good. It just... I, I started watching it tentatively, like, British show. What am I going to do with this? And it just, like, sucked me in. So that's my second. My wife watches it like anytime I'm not around or like if I walk in because I, <laughs> I refuse to, to watch it. But watch it, man. Just watch one episode. I've heard it's super good. I've only watched the first episode, but I've heard it's really good. Augustus, what do you have? Yeah, sure. Uh, so my first pick is um, Surge.io. So this is actually the continuous localization open source library that we use. Um, we open sourced it and our localization team wrote it. I mean, they have some talks on it from localization conferences, but this is like the thing that powers like our L10N robot. So it'll like scan our repository for strings. And then like you can actually customize like plugins to like make it smart and figure out what are considered strings and what isn't. So that one's pretty cool. Um, what, also like- What's L10N? L10, oh, L10N is localization. Actually, I didn't know this, but it's like L and then there's 10, ten letters, letters and then N, yeah. just like how I18N is. Or A11Y. Oh yeah, accessibility. Fact of the day. Uh, my second pick is this thing called Moral Machine, which is an MIT like project where they're trying to like make algorithms for smart cars. They'll, it'll give you like pictures of like if, uh, if a car had to crash into someone, so there might be a baby, there might be like a dog, which should you choose? And you like help the car choose. And this Wait, is like, how, how cute is the dog? <laughs> great question, great question. Wait, is this kind of like the, what you're talking about before with languages? Like it, it's crowdsourced and people decide? Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. Well, so the, I think moral machine is like train, like you're providing the machine learning training for like smart cars to like choose, like if it came across that situation, who should it crash into? Like, All right, so if it's Hitler <laughs> or, or like a choir of angels, which one do you choose? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, well it, it, it gave me a situation, situation where, where there's a lady strolling a baby and then these guys robbing a bank. <laughs> I chose the bank robbers. Yeah. Uh, that lady stole that baby. <laughs> you don't know that. That could be it. What happens if I'm one of the robbers and the smart car is my getaway vehicle? <laughs> There's so many follow-up questions. <laughs> 
Brian, what do you have for us? Uh, my first one is to support a newspaper or some sort of news source. I used to work for a newspaper. That was my first job. And like throwing newspapers at people's doors or no, what? I, like I was a web developer for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was a, I was a web developer on a, on a newspaper in Salt Lake. And I saw what it was like to like these journalists having to make like clickbaity stupid articles because that's how we got page views and that's how we got ads and that's how that's what paid my salary, right? So I think the more that we pay for our journalism, the better kind of news we're going to get we're going to get. I chose the I did both this uh, SF Chronicle and the Washington Post, and I've been, particularly with the Washington Post, super happy with it. My second pick is Quick Draw with Google, which is super fun. Uh, it's like Pictionary with machine learning. <laughs> so you start drawing something, and the algorithm tries to guess what you're drawing, it, so cool. and it is wildly entertaining because it's usually pretty good, and it gets your drawings way faster than you think it should. Some of them were really hard, though. They were insultingly hard. Uh, the one I got uh, that I remember was camouflage. Like, how am I going to draw a camouflage that, That's really 15 tough. 15 yeah. seconds? Yeah, you only have 20 seconds before it's up, and then there's like six rounds. It's pretty fun, so I, I recommend that. All right, so for my picks, I have a music pick and a documentary series. So the documentary ser- series is called Oliver Stone's Untold History of the United States. I thought it was very timely because we just went through the presidential election. This documentary, it's a series of episodes for, so it's like a TV series, but talking about the alternative take on American history, I thought it was really interesting. I've actually only seen the first episode, but I am working my way through it. It's, it's really interesting so far. Uh, it is available on Netflix, so check that one out. And then for music, it's not a brand new album, but I was listening to it the other day while programming, thought it was a really good pick, was Purity Ring, the Another Eternity. Really good album. Love programming to it. It's just nice and chill to listen to. That's one of my favorites. It's such a good album. So uh, I think it's only, it's like a year or two old, but I was like, ah, I got to pick it. They're coming to San Francisco. Oh, nice. February 2nd, I All right, think. Okay, we need to get tickets to that. I'm in Dublin. Oh, damn. <laughs> well, I, I guess I can still go. Yeah, you should go. All right, before we end the episode, where can people get in touch with you? Derek. Twitter, Derek Showers. Twitter, at Jem Young. Twitter, ag- at Ogberto, A-U-G-B-U-R-T-O. Uh, send me an invitation on LinkedIn. <laughs> Microsoft? Uh, on Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> at HoltBT, I guess. And I'm Burgess D. Ryan on Twitter. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. Make sure to rate us on iTunes and Google Play. Let others know what you think of our podcast. It definitely helps us gain more audience and letting people know if it's good or not. Follow us on Twitter at FrontendHH. Global. Global. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.